With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, where tour players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every week as he talks with the greats of the game. You are the smartest guy I've spoken to on radio or television in my career. And Chris, again, you are, you're knocking out of the park. You're like eight under par in this interview. By around you research, I'm hiring your tail to be the research man. You're the best. You're a fantastic host and tremendously respected in the golf community. Yeah, Chris, you do an amazing job and your listeners are super lucky to have you and it's always my pleasure. Chris Scarrow is the king of the golf podcast. Don't miss him on Tuesdays. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. I really appreciate you guys coming back and making the show a part of your weekly golf content. And I am so excited and humbled to say that Next on the T has won gold for the second year in a row at the Communicator Awards for episodes and sports podcasts and hosts. My sincere thanks to my wonderful guest and to all of you, the best listeners in podcasting, in particular, want to thank Tom Patry for his great contributions to the show every other week, plus all of my wonderful guests for making this show what it is. And again, to all of you for listening, encouraging me, and your support of the show over the years. You're all so awesome. Okay, on to tonight's show. I've got three great guests that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. First up is going to be Drew Kaler. Drew is a co-founder of Blue Tees Golf. They make affordable, quality laser range finders, plus Bluetooth speakers, and so many more things. They're a company that's growing very rapidly. I'm very excited to have Drew as part of the show. He's going to join me here in just a few minutes. Following him is one of my all-time favorite guests, Debbie O'Connell. Debbie, as you guys know, is an awesome instructor and speaker. She's a top 50 LPGA instructor and the founder of Golf Positive. She makes every episode of the show she's been a part of better, and she always makes me smile so hard that my cheeks hurt. Really looking forward to catching up with Debbie. She'll join me about 25 minutes from now. And then we're going to round out tonight's show with a return visit from 1992 PGA Tour Rookie of the Year and now one of the all-time great on-course analysts, Mark Carnivale. So we're going to have a lot of fun over the next hour or so. And as always, thank you all so very much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. I want to start out tonight by reminding you about our friends at the Macklemore which is a private resort located just south of Chattanooga, high atop Lookout Mountain, Georgia. It's a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta, Nashville, and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the United States by Golf Digest. The 18th hole, as a matter of fact, is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world. A second course, the Outpost, is now under construction, which will open summer of 2024. The Outpost is another Bill Berg and Reese Jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge, with every inch of that edge filled with a golf hole. 
a world-class hotel, Cloudland Lookout Mountain Curio Collection by Hilton, will open spring of 2024. Both the course and the hotel have incredible views into historic Macklemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. You gotta see it to believe it, folks. Stay, dine, and play golf above the clouds at Macklemore. Go online to macklemore.com to book your stay and play package today. Now let's talk grips. I want to tell you about Lampkin grips. Every shot, as you know, has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus black grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability with their fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel on your hand shouldn't. Lampkin. Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about the all-new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want. Distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit them online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Drew Kaler. Drew is the co-founder and VP of product development for Blue Tees Golf. They make tremendous rangefinders, Bluetooth speakers, mag tiles, and divot tools. The value for what you get versus their competition isn't even close. Prior to joining Blue Tees, Drew was the director of business development at Gartner. He earned his BA from the University of Washington, and I'm very excited to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Drew, thanks for coming on the show. Chris, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. So, Drew, before we get into Blue Tees Golf, tell us about your life in the game of golf. Where and when did you start playing the game? Yeah, man. Um, you know, I actually did not grow up uh, in the game of golf. I, I grew up in the game of ice hockey and the game of basketball. And... Um, through friends of friends, kind of in that middle school, high school area, I got myself a uh, set of used pin seekers from Roger Dunn down here in Southern California and fell in love with it. And um, from there, just kind of took off and playing competitive sports my whole life, right? You know, one of the most amazing things about golf is the competition aspect to it. So was hooked, uh, hooked from there on out. And Drew, I read that you and Chris Mark and Blue T's other co-founder, you guys are friends and you're out there playing golf together. And you went out on Amazon and bought a couple of the inexpensive range finders, which didn't last very long. They they broke. So you guys thought there's got to be a better way. Is that how this whole thing got started? Yeah, that's how this whole thing got started with one caveat. I got to include one more gentleman there, uh, our third co-founder, Brandon Francisco, who actually Chris and I, who we both grew up with. And it was the three of us out there. And essentially it was, hey, you know, the inexpensive one broke, multiple of them broke. And so we saw an opportunity in the market uh, and our eyes for a really high quality, accessibly priced technology product that had a little bit of flavor and a little bit of design to it. Um, and so from there, that was the, the kind of the thesis and onus for Blue Tees. Did you guys have experience with the technology, with how to build a laser range finder? And if not, how did you learn all the things you needed to know to build a better one? 
Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, so I have a background in go-to-market. Chris has a background in operations and finance. And Brandon has a uh, background in industrial design and product development. And so the three of us, not only are we childhood friends, but we have very complementary skill sets to each other in our eyes. And so as we think about staying in our lanes and making sure that we you know, have different facets of the business covered, uh, our boy Brandon um, kind of took on that product dev part of it from the get-go um, and, working, and working with teams uh, to build a, a really high-quality, awesome laser. So talk about that. Talk about the manufacturing process because, as you mentioned, you guys were looking to make something that was pretty high-quality, not the cheap ones that you found on Amazon. How did you go about being able to make a higher-quality product? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so I think quality and higher quality, right, means different things to different people. Uh, for us, we thought about higher quality in multiple ways. Uh, number one, the, the overall construction of the product, right? We wanted it to feel premium in your hand. We wanted it to feel durable. One of the main reasons for that is uh, one of the original lasers that I purchased and kind of the inception story of Blue Tees, the eyepiece broke. And so with that, we thought, well, it needs to be high quality, high quality construction of the actual physical product. Uh, one of Chris's lasers, uh, the accuracy was inconsistent, right? Or it wasn't accurate. And so we thought, well, we have to make sure that it's, it's consistent, it's accurate, right? And at the end of the day, a laser is supposed to give you the distance to the target that you're measuring. And so through working with multiple third-party teams, right, working with consultants and uh, electrical engineers and uh, mechanical engineers, right? And, and our team working with these different parties, we were able to develop something that we thought, and we still believe to this day, is incredibly high quality. Uh, everything is designed out here on the West Coast in California and then assembled uh, overseas. But it's really through a, a lot of teamwork that we're able to you know, put together this product. I have to imagine finding the capital to manufacture your products wasn't easy. And banks and venture capital firms don't always see the vision that you guys do. How are you able to put the funding together to get Blue Tees off the ground? Well, uh, you know, myself, Chris, and Brandon at the time, uh, we uh, we took a leap of faith and we self-funded the company, um, took our wow. life savings and uh, took a leap of faith on each other, believed in each other, believed in the idea. Uh, and from there, we essentially said, hey, if, we're, if we are going to fail, that's okay. We're, we're young enough in life and we believe in ourselves individually and collectively together that we'll bounce back. But uh, we'd be kicking ourselves if we didn't try something. And so, yeah, the three of us together uh, were able to you know, start this thing. Drew, we're all familiar with the high dollar brands like Bushnell and Garmin. How can a few buddies put something together like Blue Tees and go out and compete with the giants in the industry that were already there? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, Nikon, Garmin, Bushnell, um, and when we first started, they were competition inevitably because they were the incumbent, right? Um, we were entering a space and for us, we were looking at that, you know, accessibly priced product. So we were, you know, not going after that 400 $450, $500 laser, right? We were looking at a laser that was you know, accessibly priced. And, and candidly speaking, when we started this company, we were looking at a laser for 
someone other than the tour pro, right? We were looking at a laser for the weekend warrior, for the person that just wants their front center back distance, wants the basics, want it to be consistent. Um, but for us, what's really important and how we believe we differentiate ourselves is uh, the brand that we've created, right? We're a golf first company. Um, all of those companies that you mentioned before, they are incredibly well-run, you know, multi-billion dollar organizations that have business units and uh, focuses outside of golf. So for us, I think one of our, our core competitive differentiators is we are strictly focused on golf. Um, we are very focused on creating a brand and we are very focused on creating a brand for the next generation of golfers, right? Today's newer entrance to the golf market. And so um, incredible companies out there, but we're doing our best to create our own lane and, and really target that, that newer to golf customer, that more modern golfer, that, that person that likes the way their products look and feel and out there on the course. Drew, correct me if I'm wrong about the timing, but I believe you guys were getting started right around the time that COVID hit. And for most businesses, that would have meant that they were dead in the water. But mm -hmm. you know, the, one of the silver linings to the whole thing was the golf industry. That timing was great because getting together outdoors was really all we could do. And rounds of golf started to go through the roof. So the demand for a high quality, less expensive rangefinder was probably right there waiting for you guys to take advantage of it. Was it perfect timing for you guys? Yeah, I would say that the timing definitely helped. Um, as we think about our go-to-market strategy, we were born as a direct-to-consumer first company. And so, you know, in a day and age where you couldn't go into physical brick and mortar stores, where you were doing more online shopping, right? Uh, where if you did want to do an activity, it was hiking or golf or some other outdoor related sport. It really was kind of a perfect storm of the right place, the right time, the right business model and the, the right product for the customer um, and meeting the, the demands of the customer. You guys have added more products to your portfolio. Talk about the Bluetooth speaker, the divot tools, the towels, and the other things that you guys now have available on top of the rangefinder. Yeah. Um, you know, for us, we wanted to create, and we still want to create an ecosystem of products for our, for our core customers. Um, you know, we're inspired by brands like Apple and GoPro and Travis Matthew. And, you know, for us, we have, you know, a lot of people on our team have multiple Apple products. Uh, for us, a lot of people on the team have multiple Travis Matthew items of, of clothing, right? And so as we think about growing our company and the maturation of our company, it's how can we uh, continue to innovate and put out complementary products uh, that our customers are asking for. And so I think what's really cool about Blue Tees and what you'll see here over the next few months and years is, is turning into a more holistic golf company and a golf technology company. And so we're really excited that here in the next few months, we're going to be releasing uh, to market two, two new hardware products. Uh, one of them is called the Player Plus. It's a riff on our current player speaker, uh, but our Player Plus speaker is differentiated in the sense that it is a golf GPS speaker, golf cart GPS speaker, um, and it has a all-glass touchscreen on it so you can visually see uh, your front center back distances, you can see your score, distance to hazard. So we're really excited about the Player Plus speaker. And then we're also going to be releasing a new product called the Ringer, which is a handheld 
GPS device, 41,000 preloaded courses on it. And again, all glass touchscreen um, golf GPS handheld. So incredibly excited to uh, continue in that distance measuring space, but adding new products to the overall distance measuring device family. Let's take that a step further. As you look ahead to 2024 and beyond, are you looking to continually add more things to your product lines or are you settled in with your catalog of products and the vertical you're already in? You know, I think for, for us as a company, we're constantly looking to innovate, uh, innovate on products. Uh, we're constantly talking with our customers, asking them what would they like to see in the market? Are there any uh is there anything that isn't meeting their needs or any products that aren't meeting their needs that they would like iterated on? And so I think, you know, again, the theme for Blue Tees for the longevity of our company is constantly innovating. Um, we do have an idea of products here in the future, right? Stuff that we can't necessarily share today, but um, yeah, we're going to constantly be innovating, trying to uh, put out products that our customers are asking for. One of the top instructors in the game, Sean Foley, I read, is a new spokesperson for you guys. Talk about getting to work with him. Uh, it's a dream come true. Um, Sean is an incredible, incredible person, first and foremost, um, and an incredible golf coach, second. Um, being able to spend time with Sean, learn from Sean, is um, something that we are incredibly fortunate uh, fortunate to do. Um, now, when we got connected with Sean, we immediately bonded over love of hip hop and golf. And, you know, Sean will attest to when, it's, when we went out on the golf course and he was using the products, uh, you know, it just furthered our bond and he'll, I don't want to put words in Sean's mouth, but I'll let him speak for the product. But we're, we're incredibly lucky to be working with him. Very, very fortunate to be working with him. And, um, it's a it's a really cool validation point uh, in my eyes that somebody of his caliber in the golf space, somebody with his expertise in the golf space is willing to put his personal and professional brand on the line and endorsing our products. Drew, golf has always been a very traditional game. The idea of music on a golf yeah. course would have been outrageous a few years ago. Now you got Live Golf that's actually branded yeah. themselves golf, but louder. And players yeah. nowadays, they... On the live tour, they get to wear shorts. PGA tour players get to wear shorts during a practice round. They're wearing hoodies and joggers, clothes that never would have been acceptable years ago. Plus, we're seeing new athletes coming into the game, guys like Steph Curry and a lot of the quarterbacks in the Tom Brady's, Tony Romo's, Peyton Manning's, that sort of thing. Does getting outside the traditional golf box, if you will, is that something that intrigues you guys? And maybe you're looking to do different things that, Maybe the game would have thought was taboo years ago. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think the beautiful thing about golf is, you know, golf is different. Golf is different to different people. You know, there is a game of golf that is purely sport, right? Where we are playing everything by the rules and the red tees, the white tees, the yellow tees, right? We are dressed as proper as you can be. And then you, know, you can go out to the local muni with your friends, right? You can wear shorts, you can wear hoodies, you can listen to music. And so for us, I think what is incredible about the game of golf is you can make it what you want. But at the end of the day, we're all driven by the same passion and the love for the game and the competitiveness of getting out there and, and trying to, to better our, ourselves or better our golf game. Um, as it really 
to, I guess, to directly answer your question, um, you know, I think, I think golf is evolving. I think golf is changing. Um, I think that, you know, joggers are being, I mean, I know joggers are being worn right in the PGA championship hoodies are being worn. And so as golf evolves, right, we want to make sure that we are there evolving with the game and are on the cutting edge and don't want to be left behind in that space. And I think that's something that as a company is very near and dear to us, something that we have uh, made sure of from the onset that we are evolving with the game of golf. If not, you know, pushing the bounds of golf a little bit, which is also an exciting thing for us. You guys also have a custom program. Talk about what that is. Yeah. Uh, you know, the custom program is really born out of organic uh, demand from our green grass pro shops. Um, you know, as we go into pro shops and you buy a polo, inevitably it's going to be branded with your local shop's logo on it. Um, towel, right, divot tools, ball markers, so on and so forth. Um, a good, good friend of mine, he's, uh, the director of, uh, director of sales for the Phoenix Suns basketball team. And we were talking to them about a little tournament they were doing. And they actually asked us, Hey, can you put uh, our logo on the back of this? And so this was a long time ago and I just thought, well, we've never tried that, but let's go for it. So we tried it. It worked. Uh, and then from there on some, uh, pro shops got word of it. And so we're able to put logos for our B2B customers on the back of our rangefinders. Uh, we've built out a decoration program for our player speakers, and we also have the ability to uh, put logos on our towels. And so it's, um, it's definitely fun. It's unique. It's interesting, right? You don't see too many branded uh, technology products out there. So lots of use in the member guest space, the tournament space, and then, you know, those shops that want to uh, want to bring in a, a new and differentiated product with their logo on it. You guys have gone international as well. I read about your agreement with MST Golf to help open up the market in Southeast Asia for you. Talk about going international now. Yeah. Um, again, we, uh, you know, over the last few years and looking at our growth and maturation as a company, um, you know, a, a big undertaking and kind of that next frontier, right, was what does that international sector look like? And so we have an incredible director of international sales um, that joined our team uh, in 2022, early 2022. And um, with his help and his expertise, we've now expanded onto six continents. Uh, we are in Southeast Asia. We're in Asia, Europe. Uh, we're out there in the Middle East, Africa. So it's really cool to, uh, to see the growth of the company. And it's very interesting to see that Golf truly is a global game, um, and we're tapping into that and trying to grow our brand globally to become a household name in this game that we all love so much. Drew, just a couple more before I let you go. want to get your thoughts on a couple of things going on around the PGA yeah. Tour and the game. First of all, as you, as you guys go international, right now, all of a sudden, we've got the, the merger or partnership, whatever you want to call it, coming up between the live tour and the PGA tour. What do you think about what we're hearing and seeing around that? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, like everybody else, I think I'm just sitting there trying to learn more. Um, it'll be interesting to see how things have played out. Um, I do think the one benefit from benefit from all of this is that golf is in the news and golf is being talked about. 
and golf was a leading story right on MSNBC and CNN and Fox a couple of weeks ago, something that we haven't seen in a long time. And so uh, for me, being in the golf space, working in a sport that I love, um, I find it intriguing to see golf uh, leading breaking news and being on the headlines of not only sports news, but also, uh, you know, our regular news channels. And so It'll be interesting to see how it plays out um, over these next few weeks, months, and, and if not longer, but um, definitely intriguing, uh, to, to say the least. How about the U.S. Open this past weekend? What did you think about what we saw at LACC? Yeah, I'm very fortunate in that I was able to go uh, to the U.S. Open for a few days. Um, I happened to live out here in the Los Angeles area. Um, absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous golf course. Uh, incredibly hilly. I'm not sure if you're able to see just the undulation on the television, but it was a hike uh, walking around there in the best possible way. And it was uh, really amazing, right, as always, to see the world's best at their sport compete. I'm at such a high level. And so we had an awesome time um, there. Uh, Got to see a lot of incredible golf. Um, But it it was a lot of fun, to say the least. How about the fan reaction? I mean, we've heard sort of mixed reviews on the fans being there, the number of people that were there. What was your impression of the reaction and the size of the crowd? Yeah, I mean, my reaction was such that, um, you know, I, we were in the grandstands a lot. We walked the course a lot. Um, it's an incredibly hilly and undulated course. It's a very difficult course, right? Even when these pros are hitting it in the fairway, the ball is going to be above their feet or below the feet. So, all to say, right, you know, I think if I think I saw something to where they had double the amount of general admission tickets at last year's uh, U.S. Open in 2022, um, if if they did that for this course, I don't think you would have been able to navigate it. Right. Um, just in the way that the course is laid out, it's a it's a private country club, right, with a little bit tighter dispersion of the fairways. And so I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I'm very lucky that I was there um, and I, you know, had great viewing angles, was able to be in the, you know, in the action, see lots of incredible stuff. And so for me, um, I enjoyed uh, my experience. Um, I really enjoyed being able to be kind of upfront in person on the ropes versus, you know, four or five people deep and not being able to see uh, these golfers, uh, you know, execute on, on these incredible shots. Drew, before I let you go, Let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you guys are doing, whether it's on your website or following you guys on social media? Yeah, Blue Tees Golf. Uh, We've got blueteesgolf.com. That's our online store, our Blue Tees Golf Instagram handle, Blue Tees Golf YouTube channel. Um, You can find us us anywhere you search Blue Tees Golf, but um, yeah, blueteesgolf.com is definitely going to be the most up-to-date resource for new product launches, uh, product releases, uh, things of that sort. Well, Drew, it's been great having you as part of the show tonight. I hope we get the privilege of having you come back and update us on all the great things you're doing, particularly when you're ready to do a new product launch. Love to have you back and talk all about it and let us know what it is and how we can get it. Yes, sir. Well, you know, Chris, I really appreciate you giving me and, and Blue Tees Golf the opportunity to you know, share with your fan base, your listening base a little bit more about us, who we are, what we do. Um, so thank you for the time and the uh, opportunity. Absolutely. Drew, stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and everyone at Blue Tees. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. 
Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. You have a wonderful evening. You do the same. Thanks, Drew. That is Drew Kaler of Blue Tees Golf. And again, blueteesgolf.com is the website. Folks, they're doing tremendous things with their range finders and Bluetooth speakers. Like we say, Magtouse Divot Tools. They're doing so many great things, and they're doing it at an affordable price, and they're doing it for all of us, right? It's not, like he said, it's not for the pros, but it's for the rest of us that want a quality product at a fair price. So I'm very excited about this product. I'm very excited that Drew came on and shared all that he did with us. And I hope we get the privilege of staying up to date with all of the new things that they bring to the market and with Drew and his partners as well. Great stuff. Blue Tees Golf. Highly recommend their stuff. Go out there and check it out for yourselves. And I look forward to having Drew back as part of the show, hopefully very soon. Coming up next is one of my all-time favorite guests and the top 50 LPGA instructor, Debbie O'Connell. Before I get to Debbie, I was talking with Eddie Dry, VP of Domestic Sales for Strixon Cleveland Golf, at the PGA Merchandise Show earlier this year. And I said, Eddie, I like your CBX full-face wedges. How can they help an average player like me play better? Here's what he had to say. An average player, I use one, and I'm in some lies that you can't even believe. And I need all the help I can get. And the face is bigger and the grooves go all the way up and all the way out to the toe. So if I, you hit it on the toe, you miss it, bam, there's a groove. So I like that. So I carry a 58. There you have it, folks. Try the new CBX full face wedges from Cleveland Golf. I want to tell you about something else I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. And that's me and my golf. And how does a 45-day free trial to Arco sound? Well, me and my golf have partnered with Arcos and are offering 14 free sensors and a 45-day free trial to Arcos Caddy. When you purchase any training aid on shop.meandmygolf.com. This is a limited time offer, so don't miss out. Again, go online to shop.meandmygolf.com. With many years in the business, menswear brand Construct has finally launched its green golf collection, sustainably produced using renewable solar energy and recycled fabrics. Hit your best shot in their performance-enhancing polos, quarter zips, and bottoms. Made with four-way stretch, quick dry, and UV 50-plus protection. From solids to bold, eye-catching designs, Construct Green is the perfect piece for making the best memories on the greens. And the best part? You can head to Construct.com, and that's C-O-N-X, S-T-R-U-C-T dot com and use code Chris for 20% off the green collection today. Okay, now back in next on the tee with me, and I'm humbled to say this for the 12th time, is not only one of my all-time favorite guests, but also one of my favorite people anywhere on the planet, and that's Debbie O'Connell. Let me remind you about Debbie's background. She is an LPGA Class A teaching professional and a Top 50 LPGA instructor. In 2002, she was named both the LPGA National Professional of the Year and the LPGA Southeast Section Professional of the Year. In 2004, her high school alma mater, Ridgeway High up in New Jersey, inducted her into their Athletic Hall of Fame. In 2007, she won the inaugural Nancy Lopez Golf Achievement Award, which is given annually to the person who emulates the qualities valued by Nancy, which are leadership, passion, giving, and approachability. She has been recognized by Golf Digest as one of the top 50 best women teachers in America. In 2016, she was named the Northeast Section Teacher of the Year. She's also a media pro, having been featured in Ladies Links for Golf Magazine 
and on LPGA.com. She hosted her own show, the Debbie O'Connell Radio Show, for a decade, and the Par for the Course TV show as well. Debbie is the founder of Golf Positive, which offers multimedia golf tips and articles to enhance both your golf game and your life. She's written a book titled Golf Positive, Live Positive, Lessons in Golf and Life, which you can find out on Amazon or you can listen to on Audible. And I'm very excited she is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Debbie, how are you, my friend? I am fantastic, and I'm so excited to be here with you again, Chris. You're so you're so great as the host. You make it easy to be a guest on your show, and I thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. I appreciate you so much. Debbie, we are here on the heels of Father's Day, so I got to ask you, how's your dad doing? Oh, my dad is doing great. He just turned 90 years old. God bless uh, him. He got through falling and breaking his hip on January 23rd. As a matter of fact, I was in Florida heading up to the PGA show when I got the call. So I said, mom, I'm on my way. So I flew home that night and it was uh, actually, we spent a lot of time together because my parents moved into my home, which was more conducive to his rehab for seven weeks. And, you know, it was tough. It was challenging for my dad. It was ups and downs. And we had those challenges. And at the same time, Chris, the quality time we spent together is so meaningful and special to me. I wouldn't replace it for the world. Now, my dad may not feel the same way because he's the one who was in all the pain. But, <laughs> but I tell you, it was, it was actually really special. Wow, that's fantastic. Thank God you for asking. You. Thank you. Debbie, not all that long ago, you got to spend the time with another great person, Kathy Whitworth, who we lost uh, not that long ago. But um, I got to ask, what was it like uh, getting to spend some time with her? Kathy is or was, I guess, so humble. Uh, it, it was it was so neat being in her company because here's a woman who had more wins than anyone on the LPGA tour. And when I would bring that up and ask her about it, she said, oh, my gosh. No, Mickey Wright was really the best. She just stopped playing sooner. And there's many others who were really better players. And I, so I asked her what her secret was. I said, you know, how did you win so much? And she laughed because many of the announcers would say, you know, Kathy has ice in her veins as she's coming down the stretch. And, you know, she's cool as a cucumber. She said, you know, I probably did look like that on the outside, but if they turned me inside out, you wouldn't believe how nervous I was. I was shaking all over. I was incredibly nervous every time coming down the stretch of a tournament. So what she portrayed out there was this calm confidence, you know, and, and as a matter of fact, Chris, just a, a little story from that. When I was growing up watching golf on TV, I developed a belief that if you got nervous, you couldn't succeed in sports. Because I would watch the wide world of sports every Saturday and I'd watch golf and tennis and all these sports. And anytime the athlete succeeded in a pressure situation, they said exactly what they said about Kathy. They have ice in their veins. Nothing bothers them. And then all of a sudden they fail in a situation. The nerves got to them. And I used to think, oh my gosh, I'm you know, I get nervous. So how can I ever succeed in sports? And it, it impacted me for a long time till I realized, oh, okay, this is just being excited for the moment. And it's way different. And I've done so much work on mindset because I had struggled with that. So uh, I, I heard that from Kathy, which was my first inclination that said, oh, you can be nervous and still succeed in sports. So every one of you who feels the first T jitters, or you start feeling 
the pressure coming down the stretch when you're playing well. It's okay. You can still do it. You got to spend time with another LPGA legend not that long ago as well, and Annika Sorenstam. That had to be a huge thrill to be around Annika. Talk about what it was like getting to spend time with a more recent LPGA legend. Well, Annika is the best of the best, a champion in everything she does. It's to the max. She cares. She gives her best effort. And it was such a privilege for me to be invited to one of her tournaments that she runs this tournament series. And uh, she wanted me to speak because she heard me speak at an LPGA. Actually, it was a PGA show breakfast for leaders in women's golf. And we wanted them to understand and learn what we do at the LPGA Leadership Academy, which is that's where we bring in teenage girls. And in two days, Chris, we transform them. We empower them. We help help them learn leadership skills. They literally leave different people walking out their door with their chest out, their shoulders back, their chins up high, and a big smile on their face, completely filled with confidence. And so I did a short presentation on that. And right, and Annika was there because she's our ambassador. And right after her husband came up to me and said, Hey, you know, Annika and I talked, and we'd love for you to come to one of our events and speak to all the players because they can all use this. This how to take charge of your state, how to get confident because they feel so much pressure because this is high level junior golf playing in Annika's series. And I, uh, I was, I was delighted, you know, what an honor to be asked to do that. So I got to spend some more time with, uh, the family actually. And then I also had her on, uh, a, a, that live Facebook show that I do and, and the kids were there and it was really fun. She's such a great mom. And I love that she's playing. I love that she's playing. But being there watching her in action with this event and talking to all the girls, she cares so much. I mean, she was just a champion of champions for sure in everything she did. And what what the reason she retired before she set the record on the LPGA tour and beat Kathy Whitworth was because she found herself not able to focus only on golf, you know, and especially when you know, she wanted the family, she had having kids, but she was also had businesses. And she said, I, I, I was always able to practice and be 100% focused in the moment. And every shot was important, whether I was practicing or on the course practicing or, you know, just warming up for a tournament. She was always in the moment. And she explained when she was practicing a few days in a row in a week, she would all of a sudden start thinking about her other obligations and the other businesses. And she was questioning herself, like, what's going on? I've never done this before. And so that was, I think, led into part of her decision to retire, but an amazing woman and, and her family is just so incredible. Uh, it's fun to be around them. You recently wrote an article titled Mind Over Pars, How to Boost Your Mental and Emotional Resilience on the Golf Course. Talk about the tips you provided in that article to build our mental and emotional resilience when we're playing the game? Well, it's emotions that are the key out there because when you can control them, you can also get into a better peak state of mind and mental focus for the game. You know, I, I think everyone who plays the game would agree golf is truly a mental game. And if you improve your mental game, every part of the game can improve. You know, we can take lessons on putting, right? We can take it on chipping or the bunker, the full swing, the playing lessons, every single part. And in one 
shift of a mindset, all of it improves, which is so great. Because when you step up to every shot with confidence, with that belief, when you can step behind a shot and visualize it and see it just the way you want to and believe that you can do it and then step into that play box and allow it to happen, it is incredibly powerful. And the way I explain the think box and the play box is, you know, that's where you do all your planning, right? And then you do your practice wing, you decide on the shot, you visualize it and plan it like it means the world. And then when you step into that play box, now there's no more thinking and you truly need to swing like you don't care. And what I mean by that is the outcome can't matter anymore. You've already set the intention. You have your brain in motion. Your unconscious mind knows exactly what you want to do. And so let it. Now get out of the way, swing, and wherever it goes, it goes, go find it again. But keeping those emotions in check, you know, I I really believe in using your body, right? Standing and walking in a confident way because the studies have been done that we know when you stand in a certain way, you can create confidence. Or if you have your head down, your shoulder slump, you can get more stressful. You can raise your level of cortisol and lose confidence. So taking charge of that state, taking charge of your thoughts. You know, a great example is that is Amy Bockerstedt. If if your listeners haven't seen it yet, they want to look up Amy Bockerstedt uh, golf or PGA wastewater management event or or her with Gary Woodland, you know, any of those, well, you'll find it where Gary Woodland surprises her. And she is saying, I've got this. So just quickly on that, where Amy got up there and, and she kept saying, I've got this, I can do this. She's on the 16th hole in Phoenix, Arizona at the wastewater. I mean, not wastewater, the, the, um, what, what is the name of the tournament? I keep saying wastewater. It's not waste, waste management, waste management, waste management event. And the stands, it's grandstands all around. It's half filled with people. Think of, you know, some of your listeners would be like, oh my gosh, look at all these people. Okay, don't embarrass yourself. Just swing, get it in the air, make contact, right? right. Get nervous. Amy looked up there and was like, oh my gosh, they love me. She felt the support. So she hits her tee shot in this par three, goes in the green side bunker and didn't phase her at all. So your post-shot reaction Everyone is key. You know, you you want to have, you know, a thought of, oh, that's interesting if it doesn't go where you want to, or be neutral. You know, you can be a commentator. Okay, it went over to over to the trees, but you know what? I'm gonna get the next one out. Cause you don't want those spikes of stress and adrenaline and negative thoughts and negative emotions, because that will impact your next shot. So Amy hits it in the green side bar. She hit it solidly. Gary's so impressed. That's awesome. She's walking down the fairway. They're cheering for her. She's waving, saying, they love me. This is amazing. And she, then she walks up. Gary says, you want to hit the shot out of the bunker? She said, yes. And then you hear her saying to herself, I've got this. I can do this. I can do this. I've got this. She kept repeating that. She steps in the bunker, knocks it out 10 feet from the hole. Crowd goes crazy. Gary's like, you're awesome. You're awesome. Oh, my gosh. He is so excited. So then they, she walks up to the green and he says, you're going to make this? She said, yes. Like just that confidence. Yes. And he says, all right, a little right to left. You got this? She says, I got this. And then she kept saying again, I've got this. I can do this. You hear her because the PGA had a microphone on her. She steps up to that 10 footer. She strokes it, breaks a little right to left and in the cup, the crowd goes crazy. She pars the 16th hole. Gary's going crazy. 
it was just such an incredible moment. And, and from there, and this is all answering your question for that emotional state and the mindset, because later that year, Gary Woodland was in the final round of the U.S. Open with the lead. He'd never won a major. And you know what he did that, that last day? He kept saying, I've got this. I can do this. He credited that last day and getting through where you felt, where he felt nervous, where he might have been feeling the pressure. He just kept saying, I can do this. And he credited Amy with that. What's so cool for me in that whole story, Chris, is Amy was in one of our LPGA leadership academies in Phoenix, Arizona, 2016. And that's where she learned it. Wow. And I I was blessed enough to be the lead professional and taught her those words as I was teaching everyone in the class to take charge of your thoughts because your thoughts influence your emotions. And when you can get your body language strong and you can get your thoughts in a positive way and, and speak positivity, speak believing in yourself while you're playing, that will enhance it. And then add to that some gratitude. So if anyone has that feeling in their gut, like this round is going poorly, go to gratitude. You release the stress and and you'll relax again because your muscles work better when they're relaxed. So you can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. Studies, so much research has been done on that. So go to gratitude as well. And of course, those deep breaths, right? <laughs> those <laughs> deep breaths really help us through those situations. So uh, I know long story on all of that, but I think Amy's story really explains so much. Yes. Taking charge of your emotional state. That's awesome. So I want to take two things that you said there a little bit further. So let's talk about negative thought because something I know that I keep falling prey to last week, I, I'm playing with my buddies and on the back nine, I, I parred the first seven holes in a row and I'm starting to think to myself, you know, I could shoot even par here on the back nine and two holes left. And then of course I I doubled both of them. So how can we stay in the present moment and resist the temptation to kind of get ahead of ourselves? (laughs) That takes some practice. You hear almost every golf professional, when you ever ask them, what's the key? They say, stay in the moment, one shot at a time. And it truly takes some practice. And it's almost like catching those thoughts. And I've been in that situation where your brain wants to go ahead and it, and obviously we don't want to. It's thinking about score while you're playing is the absolute worst thing you can think about because it puts pressure on you, right? Now all of a sudden you're thinking about score, but that's not how you had the first seven pars, right? That's not how you did it. You, you were in your process. I bet you did a great pre-shot routine and you were just in the moment and hitting shots and hitting shots and hitting shots. So you want to repeat the process not try to create and make an outcome nor force an outcome. So we want to definitely, like I've read a book called The Present by Spencer Johnson, nothing to do with golf, but all about being in the present moment. It's a gift you give yourself. And Chris, when I was in one of those situations at an LPGA Southeast section event, shooting my best round, and actually it would end up being low score of the day. I kept saying to myself, I had just read the book like a couple of weeks earlier. And I just said to myself, stay in the present moment, this shot and, and be a commentator. Okay. If you can't, if you go ahead, bring yourself back by saying, okay, I am stepping on hole number eight T right now. Got my driver in my hand. So bring it back. You can take some deep breaths and literally feel the breath in your body. It will bring you into the moment. 
So those are two things you can do. Be a commentator and announce in your brain exactly what you're doing and taking deep breaths and feel your body. If you feel your body, you're in the present moment. And that's like being in flow state. You know, when when you hear golfers talk about being in the zone or being in flow state, they are so engrossed in the moment. And that is a key to success. And Tiger, Tiger in some interviews talked about when he hit some of his best shots in the most highly pressured situations, he said he doesn't actually remember hitting the shot. He said, I remember pulling the club out of the bag and I remember watching it fly to the target, but I don't remember what happened in between consciously. So that is the ultimate flow state. Basically, his conscious mind shut off and his unconscious mind took over where all the training is. And if we could literally get to that flow state more, we will play to our ability. So wherever anybody's ability is, Tiger happens to be one of the best. So when he's in flow state, he's playing, you know, just like avatar golf, right? Like it's worldly. It's worldly. It's from the universe. You know, that's what it seems like. And that's where some of these best players in the world, when they can get out of their way mentally, but we all can get in flow state and play to our ability, whatever we've trained. And that's why I, that's what I'm really focused on now. And I recently wrote a book about the seven principles of lowering your handicap with flow state golf and how to help people get into it. We can't force it. We can't say, okay, I'm going to be in flow state today because it's flow. (laughs) I mean, flow (laughs) is flow. And yet you have to do certain things to welcome flow and, and, and give yourself a chance to get in flow. And there's different states. Like that is the ultimate peak flow state is what I describe with Tiger. But when you were in your first seven holes, par after par after par, you were in a form of flow state because you were in the moment right for every swing that you were taking. We also mentioned a moment ago, negative self-talk and gratitude. And so many of us after our round, we'll, we'll go, we'll pull out the scorecard and we tend to gravitate to the bad holes. Man, if I hadn't three putted 12 or if I didn't hit it in the water on 15 and instead of looking at the birdie that we made on 11 or the great par save we may have made on 18, talk about the inner critic and the cause and effect concept. Well, I was recently at a clinic and I was teaching and it, it was, I, I actually forced everyone to celebrate the success <laughs> and was something I do at the leadership Academy. And I, and I help teach people to celebrate themselves. And what we did was we put our hands in the air and I do it after every girl's golf program. And I, and I, today it was executive women where I was, where I was doing my clinic. And I said, put your hands in the air for a moment. You need to celebrate. Y'all did so great. I said, repeat after me. I am in the habit of achieving my goals. Yes. And they used to see in the smiles, the energy. I said to them exactly what you just said. You have this inner critic, don't you? That finds more things that you do wrong and you forget to celebrate what you do well. And they're all looking at me like, oh my gosh, how'd you know that? (laughs) Because it's just like our human nature. You go to the 19th hole in golf and that's all you hear about, all the sad stories. Now, occasionally it's pretty funny. You know, you hit the tree and it went over your head and you're laughing at it. That's a different that's a different scenario when you're kind of giggling at it. But when it's, oh man, if I had only done, you know, that three putt. So that, that is the, for some reason, the tendency for people. And I think a lot of it goes back to our beliefs. We don't always feel 
worthy enough. Or maybe we learned that it's cocky to talk about your successes, right? Rather than going there at, can you imagine the 19th hole, right? You're like, oh my God, that birdie I made. Hey guys, do you remember that birdie I made? And that, you know, it was like a 22 footer went up and around. That was so exciting. You know, wouldn't that be fun to talk about as well, rather than the three putts? Because the more you talk about it, the more it's embedded. And if you are truly trying to improve your game, you want to talk about the things you're doing well. I have my uh, my students and, and clients, because I work a lot just on mental game with people, create a ringer score. And it's it's like a possibility scorecard. And what you do is it, there's a course you play over and over. You take a scorecard home and you put the best score down that you had on each hole individually. So if one round you made a birdie on the first hole and that's the best you've ever made on that hole, that's your score on that hole. If hole two, it was a par, you know, so one round you might've made a double there, but then the next time you played, you made a par. So you change it and you make a par and it's your best score in every hole and just keep adding it up. And that's what is possible. So you want to look at that scorecard and say, I've done this. This is what I've done and continue to remember those holes that you played so well and now create this round that is your best round of golf. And you've done all the shots. So you could literally then imagine it and replay that. It's the same as talking positively to yourself. We want, we, we basically have four voices in our head. We have an inner critic, an inner child. We have our ego. And then we have our intuition. And the goal is to have your intuition be your loudest voice. That's the voice that says, hey, bring the umbrella. And you, you're like, what? I've just looked at the weather. It says sunny all day. And then it's five o'clock. You're thinking, man, something told me I should bring my umbrella. Well, that's <laughs> that intuition. And if that could guide us around the golf course, that would be great. And we need to quiet down those other ones. And I, I create meditations about that, about your inner voices and quieting that inner critic because you don't deserve it either. So many people think and say things to themselves that they would never say to anyone else. So try to be your own best cheerleader out there and then check in with, why Why don't you just say thank you when someone compliments you? Because there's a lot of people. I heard it in a, in a clinic recently with executive women. Someone's come, oh, well, no, but this person did blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, you deserve just to say thank you and accept that compliment. And we do. We do. Accept those. Be positive with yourself. Be your cheerleader. It's important. That's awesome. Debbie, something else many of us do is each year we, we, we try to buy a better game. Every year, new clubs come out. And boy, that marketing sounds great. And you wrote an article about some questions that we should ask ourselves before we pull out our credit cards. Talk about the things we should go through and, and, and ask ourselves before we try to go out and buy a better game. Well, one thing I, I like to tell people all the time is to... You know, when you go, if you're going for a club fitting, I do encourage club fittings. Get with a professional club fitter and bring your clubs and, you know, hit swing your clubs and also swing the new clubs and compare. Because I actually was with someone, they did a club fitting and there were certain clubs like, I don't know, it was the, it was the driver or it was the five wood, but they hit theirs better or it was this whole set of woods, but they were, they compared and, they were all ready to buy the new set of clubs. But when they really compared, 
because their clubs weren't that old anyway. They were just a couple years old, but they wanted the new latest and greatest. And they're like, hey, wait, I still hit these better <laughs> than the latest and greatest. So a club fitting is absolutely uh, crucial to that, I'd say. And I'd also look at, you know, uh, you know, where you go and make sure you get a recommendation because you don't want to just go into any store with anyone. I think you want to make sure it's a reputable store. Ask your, your friends, ask your pro, where do you recommend I go for a club fitting? So get some tutelage on that for sure. You know, it's kind of like you, if you're looking for a specialist for a doctor, you want to, you want someone who is either knows them or been to them or your doctor highly recommends them. And, uh, so you want to take care of that with your own golf game as well. So really, really important, but there's other places to invest your money, you know, and I recently I, I was on a Facebook page and it was all golfers. And I said, uh, you know, how much, how much of the game do you think is mental? And, you know, kind of like Chi Chi, who's who, what was his quote? Something like 85% is mental and 35% is psychological. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, his math wasn't very good, but most of them were agreeing. And then when I ask people, well, how much do you invest in your mental game? And it's very little. It's it's what they, you know, maybe during a playing lesson, they're going to learn, you know, think box, play shot, play box, pre-shot routine, visualize your shot, take a breath. You know, the things I talked about, which I highly believe in, and they will support you. There's a whole nother level to it. And that's the part I am so enjoying is going into and seeing what people's beliefs are in their unconscious mind. And sh helping them shift their perspective on it and releasing some old negative beliefs. And then they're able to step in with confidence easier. Just like <laughs> uh, oftentimes I'm in a clinic and I can tell someone just they, they can't let go of control. And I said, are, are you a control freak everywhere in your life? They're like, oh my gosh, how did you know? And then the perfectionist, are you a perfectionist everywhere in your life? So these beliefs aren't just golf. Golf shows the presenting problem. You know, I'll give you an example of that. One of my clients was uh, playing golf and she would never step away, even if she was distracted. And she's a single digit handicap. And she said, no, I just say, no, go ahead and hit. And I said, well, what's that about? She said, well, I don't like to make people wait. And then she told me about this one time she was on the tee. It was a dog leg right. And she said, I couldn't hit driver because I would have hit it through the dog leg. So I hit a hybrid. And I happened to hit hit it horribly, and I I topped it, and so I was I was like embarrassed, and I now I know I have to hit another shot, and I've got people waiting, so I I just walked up, and I hit it, and she said it was too much club, I hit it through the dog leg, and she was like, oh my god, she said I didn't even think, I didn't go through a pre shot routine, I just stepped up and hit it. So when we I started asking her questions about what happens when people are waiting, what does that represent, and after a while. We got down to when she was a kid, her parents got divorced and her dad would come pick her up for weekends or every other week. And he would say to her and he would follow through with this. If you're not outside, I'm not waiting. Wow. So she learned not to make people wait because what would it represent? Her dad would be mad at her and her dad might not love her anymore or whatever her unconscious mind created. So your brain doesn't know the difference. Like when the, the person I was just teaching with control, I said, your brain doesn't know the difference of feeling out of control by letting this putter swing in a pendulum nice and relaxed 
or feeling out of control in an unsafe environment. It doesn't know. It just feels out of control and it has a representation, which for that person was out of control is not safe. What happened with my client was making people wait was just awful. <laughs> like they wouldn't like me anymore that unconsciously. She's not thinking this consciously. So we cleaned that up for her. And, and I, and it wasn't, it was right after that. She said, Oh my gosh, Debbie, I actually stepped away and restarted my pre-shot routine because I got distracted. And then I went up and hit a great shot. And she said, now I'm able to take my time even after a poor shot or whatever. So uh, your mind is so incredibly powerful. No, and kidding. understanding is key. That is fantastic stuff, Debbie. I want to get a couple of playing lessons from you. And and one thing not enough of us do is warm up properly before we play. Many times we're rushing to get to the first tee, then it takes us four or five holes before we settle down and actually start to play well. Talk about what we should do to properly warm up. Well, I've actually created a warm-up for your mental game as well. I have a pre-golf meditation where you literally get your mindset ready to go out and play your best golf and invite that flow state. The more you can calm your conscious mind, the more the greater chance you have to get in flow and be in the present moment. You know, just let me talk about flow state for a second. In that state, you feel confident and relaxed and very patient. You know, and this is from let, let me let me there I got I got a quote here from Sir Nick Faldo, and this is how he described it. I'm aware of my surroundings, but acutely focused on each shot. My rhythm and tempo are in harmony and my with my mindset and mechanics. Completely engrossed in the process of playing. My thinking is crisp. And I get so in tune with my target that there's none of the mental interference that often accompanies competitive golf. That's Sir Nick Faldo. That's his experience, completely engrossed in the process. So it is important to warm up mentally so you can invite this state so where you can play in the present moment. Then you want to warm up physically, you know, and there are so many great fitness instructors out there and specifically golf fitness is really powerful and TPI trained people, which is Titleist Performance Institute, which is all about the physical body and warming up. But you definitely want to warm up your hips. A lot of people don't do that. You see them just kind of circle their shoulders a little bit and then, all right, and then they go and they start swinging, but literally warm up, warm up those hips a little by even, even just lifting the leg, you know, your knee up and then out to each side and do a few of those on each side. So those hips are important too. So warm up that way and then start with a short club. I can't tell you how many times I get to a lesson and the first thing they pull out is the driver. I'm watching on the range. Someone puts their club down, they take their driver, they take one or two crack swings and swing away if they even make the time, like you said, to get there. So you want to figure out for you what actually works as far as the timing. How much do you really need? You know, I'll, I'll use Nancy Lopez as an example. Now, this isn't your everyday golfer, but Nancy said she she knew exactly what she needed time-wise to get to the locker room, to warm up, and do everything she wanted to do to be prepared to play. Part of that included signing autographs. So think of that. So she was like, all right, I know I'm going to need this much time to sign autographs. I need this much time, this much time. So for you, for all of you out there, just kind of 
go backwards, say, all right, I want to get to the T. Ideally, 10 minutes before the tea time is what the course asks. So how much time do I need? And it doesn't have to be a lot, but it'd be great if it was something. And you want to definitely include putting. And here's the way, and I talked to Rob Labritz about this, who is now playing the uh, senior, the champions tour. He he said, you know, take take uh, a putt at three feet away, six feet away, nine feet away. And he said, not even lining it up, just get the feel, get the pace for each of those and do that a couple of times and then go 12, 15, 18 and take, and you want to know though. So for me, it's one big step is, th- is one yard, right? Three feet. And I get the feel for the green doing that. And I go back to like 24 usually. So now my brain has a number. When I'm on the course, I actually pace off my putts. And even what Rob said, and I was doing this before Rob, but Rob explained it even better. He said, you know, in every shot in golf out on the fairway, you know your yardage. And then all of a sudden, sometimes we're chipping and putting. We don't know our yardage or our feet, you know, putting its feet. He said, so it's important for your brain to know it on all of them. That'll help. Those of you who have trouble with your lag putts, basically getting them close to the hole if they're a long putt, you definitely want to start uh, do something differently. Pace off the putt. So now you have not only a concrete number in your mind, you have a visual of the distance, you have a feel of the distance. And you can put all of that together and get those putts knocked in close. So for warm up, if you can do mental, physical, start with a short club. And work your way up to the longer clubs, maybe every other one. And again, you don't have to hit a lot of shots and then make sure you putt before you go out. If you only have a few minutes, I'd say in the car, take some deep breaths. And, you know, I have a meditation, a meditation I do, even even if I'm driving and I know I'm running late for whatever reason. And we do, right? Sometimes we're working late, but we have this tea time and we and golf's important. So we're just going to get there. We want to get on the course, you know, getting your mindset right getting calm, taking deep breaths. If you can, a couple putts would be great. Then really do some physical warmups on the first tee, take a number of practice swing, and then mindset. I've got this. I can do this. I'm ready to play and go out there and play the best you can. I love all of that. And I love that pacing the putt off thing. And, and, and coincidentally, Rob's coming on the show next week. So oh I'll, definitely, <laughs> I'll definitely mention that to him during our conversation. He's the Debbie- best. Debbie, one of the things we emphasize a lot on this show is short game. It's Tom Patry's mantra, short game, short game, short game. And in another article, you talked about how often overlooked short game is, and that is what sets champions apart from the rest of the field. Talk about some of the things we need to do around our short game in order to be better players. Oh, that's where you score. That is where the scoring happens. I played in a Southeast section tournament many years ago with Nancy Henderson. And that day she hit the ball all over the place. Like she was sideways almost on every tee shot. And when she got around the green, she would make one chip and one putt and save par all over the place. And then when she did hit a green in regulation, she was sinking a birdie here and there. And it was it was rare that she was making worse than a par, but she made a couple of those. I am every fairway, every green, just about. And if I missed a green, I was making a bogey. I was chipping up, two putting. If I'm hitting the green, I two or three putted. We shot the same score. I hit the ball great that day. And I was looking, I'm like, oh my gosh, if we put our games together, <laughs> I got us to the green and then she did the rest. We just shot nothing. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was one of those days and it just, 
banged me over the head with, holy cow, I got to spend more time on my short game. That was so many years ago. And you do, you hear it all the time and it just doesn't seem like it's as much fun. I would encourage everyone, make your short game practice fun and challenging because a lot of people don't like to spend the time doing it. So how can you make it more fun? That's what I, you, you, that's what I'd suggest you ask yourself. What could make this fun for me? Could I challenge myself that I'm going to, um, get so many out of 10 within three feet with this chip shot. I'm going to play with someone else. Maybe maybe I'm going to do one chip. This is what's highly recommended. One chip and then go putt and see what your score is and then try to beat it. So if those of you who are competitive, make practice a game. If you, if you want to just have fun, practice with a friend and laugh and giggle and have fun and have little silly challenges. You can watch... Uh, a short game area at a course when there's kids around and you watch these kids and they are being so creative. They're like playing horse. Like you do in basketball. They're doing it with the short game shots. And it's so amazing to watch the creativity of these kids and that they're trying everything. They're doing a flop shot when they're, you know, a half a foot off the green. (laughs) All right. We're going (laughs) to flop it up over that hole and land there and, you know, leave it within three feet. And they're challenging each other and they're having a ball. They're just, they're laughing. They're having fun. They have got a little game going on. So ask yourself, how can I make this more fun? Now you can also practice at home. Uh, you know, I was, I was teaching putting in, in clinics. I, I run corporate golf outings and uh, I was doing one for Deutsche Bank and CME group the last uh, few weeks. And I was teaching putting and I was explaining how you could actually practice putting technique perfectly. And there's not many things you can practice perfectly in golf because here, and here's how you do it. Three things stay still in putting, right? Your head, your wrists, and your lower body. So I have a grip. I call it the uh, professional anti Scooby poopy grip because <laughs> you want to get your wrists out of the shot. That's actually in my book, golf positive, live positive. And, and it's when, if you're a right-handed golfer, you know, you take your lead arm, your left, you hold the very bottom of the putting grip all the way down, rest it. It's going to be like a reverse grip. So if you're, if you're left-handed, it's your right hand at the bottom. Let the grip rest on your forearm. And then with your stronger arm, hold the, the grip against your forearm above your, where your watch would be. So if you're holding that, there's no way you can use your wrist. So that, boom, takes care of the wrist. And then I tell them, take a pillow, put it on the wall and stick your head on it. So now your head's not going to move. And then put a chair behind you. And then here's what you want to do with your lower body. Push those knees out a little. Once you get in your setup, push your knees out, tighten your thighs and your buttocks and your abs and really squeeze that. You can't move your lower body. And then your eyes will be set up over the golf ball and make your strokes using your big muscles. So you can literally practice at home and help yourself increase your short game talents and lower your golf score by, as Tom says, short game, short game, short game. But there's ways to make it more fun for you. So you want to do it. Debbie, you are a driving force for the U.S. Solheim Cup team. Are you uh, you headed to Spain to this year's event in September? Chris, I have 117 people going with me to Spain, and we are will be in our red, white, and blue. We will practice our cheers. I'll be leading them in the stands. You know, they have reserved seating on the first team now, and I've got about three quarters of my group who are traveling who are purchasing those tickets. We're going to be all together. We're going to be as loud as we can over there in Spain. 
So yes, 100%. I love that event. And we have so much fun in the stands, you know, cheering for the team. And we're passionate, <laughs> passionate fans. And we, we hope hopefully help out with Team USA, let them know we're there supporting them. And uh, we'll be there throughout for sure. So thank you for asking about that. It's a blast. And I run my own two-day golf positive cup and we do it match play. So they get a feel for what the uh, the 24 players are going through with the match play and the excitement of that. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. I just ordered our shirts today that I that I get. Everybody gets two shirts uh, who travel with me. So we have we separate in teams and one day, you know, one team will have red on the other day. They'll have navy blue on and then they'll switch the next day. So it's a it's a great fun week, uh, not just the Solheim Cup, but our entire week together in Spain will be awesome. So watch for me on TV. I'll be the crazy one uh, leading those cheers for sure. <laughs> and we've talked about your book, at least we've mentioned it a couple of times tonight. But talk about golf positive, live positive lessons in golf and life where people can get a copy of it. And once they do what they're going to find inside. Oh, well, well, Amazon is the best place to find that and just look up golf positive, live positive. And each of those ends with an exclamation, golf positive, exclamation, live positive, exclamation, because I believe in celebrating. And to me, that is excitement and celebrating with that exclamation. So that's why the title has those on it. But what they'll find inside is my quintessential success formula, core triumph. And it is, it's a six step formula to achieve goals that you set. So the C is having a coach, you know, and I believe in you're, you're serious about this golf game, you know, have a fitness expert and, and someone who knows golf, right? Have a mental game coach uh, at some, all the pros do. Why not you? Especially if you want to improve in your game, even if it's just a little bit, even if you're not majorly competitive, what if you could have more confidence and have more fun out there? Wouldn't it be worth it to at least do something? And and that's what I do. And I'm going to I'm gonna give everybody a gift if that's okay, Chris, for an upcoming course I have on the mental game of golf. But um, so that the, my, my first book is, you know, with this core triumph. So, so the coach, O is your outcome. You want to be really clear on your outcome. Set it like a smart goal. Uh, I go into that consciously and unconsciously in my course. And then the R is your reasons. Why Why is it important to you to achieve that goal? Because that's the motivation, truly. You know, I, I was doing a speaking engagement one time, also a professional speaker. And I was I asked everybody, who, who really doesn't have time to work out? And almost everyone in the group. I said, what if someone came along and they said, all right, if you work out three days a week, at least 30 minutes, for the next six months, I'm going to give you $50 million. How many of you could find the time to work out? And everyone <laughs> raised their hand. <laughs> everyone. So it wasn't the time. It was the reason. It was the why. It was the purpose. And then the E is the execution plan. You know, Make a plan of how you'll achieve it. And then the triumph, I broke that down. This is step five. The try and triumph means move, get started, be your number one fan, which I mean, I... It's an acronym for me, focused action now. Take action right away. It's also a reminder every month, look back. How's my progress going? Has my execution plan working? If not, try something different. Change it up a little bit. And then, of course, the exclamation. Always have a, a celebration ready when you achieve that goal. And even the little goals on the way to the big one. So the, the book's about that. There's There's fundamentals of golf. And then I take the golf lessons and I turn them into life lessons. So when I teach the pitch shot, 
Then it's about getting over obstacles in life. And then I give some tips about how you can do that in life. There's lots of fun stories in there as well. It's, it's, it's a fun read. It really is with a lot of uh, real good sound fundamentals for golf and life that I think everyone will enjoy. But my latest book too is the one on flow state. It's a, it's an ebook, my, the latest one, um, which I'd love to give everyone a copy of that if they'd like to, to get a free download of that one. That's fantastic. How can they do that? Sure. So if they text and if you, and maybe you can get this written down for them too yep. somewhere. Here's the phone number. They can text the word flow to 727-339-0106. So they can, they just, the word flow will give them a, a link to the download of this book. It's the seven principles for lowering your handicap with flow state golf. Um, and then here's the other part. What I mentioned was my upcoming, uh, it's called Keys to Being a Champion. It's all about that mental game of golf and actually more golf mindset. So it's deeper than any, uh, you know, the typical golf mental game. Uh, and that's coming up in July. And uh, I'd love to share that with everyone too. It's the same text number, 727-339-0106, but text the word yes. So if you text yes to that, you'll get a link to keys. Now here's the kicker, Chris. I mean, it's a great deal. It's about a thousand dollar value that I have for $97. But for everyone listening to your show, because I just think the world of you and your show, and I know you have the greatest golf fans in the world and golf, you know, enthusiasts out there, there's a comp code I want to give them. And the coupon code for that for a comp is champion 2023. All, you know, just lowercase. No spaces, champion 2023, get you in for free for it's a, it's five days. Uh, and imagine after five days going out in the course and playing your best golf. Cause that's what happens to people who come to this course and they're wow. loving it. They're loving it. It's a, it's a mindset shift that impacts every part of the game quickly. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And I appreciate you. You're letting our folks come in for free because I have no question that five days after after they listen and after I listen, I'll be playing my best golf. So I'm sure they'll be playing theirs. And you're outstanding in so many ways. There's no question that this uh, this is going to have a very positive impact on a lot of different things in people's lives. The, the other thing I want you to share, Debbie, is I enjoy your you have a message almost every day, a video positive message that you put out on social media, whether it's on Facebook or LinkedIn. Talk about doing that and how our listeners can find you on LinkedIn and find you on social media to kind of get this sort of complete package, if you will, of the golf positive world that you put out into the into the uh, out into the universe every single day. Oh, thanks, Chris. You know, I started with an in motion Monday and a fun Friday. That's where it started. And then when COVID happened, I was like, oh, my gosh, I want to do more. I want to I want to speak into people of, you know, have faith. And I know this is a hard time and give them some understanding and then give them some tools to help get through this crazy time. So I went on seven days a week live on Facebook. And then it also went to Instagram and LinkedIn. And then, then I, now I've pared it down to five. So I I've thought about going less than that, but you know, I, I run into people who I never see comment, you know, I'm sure this happens to you. You're like, Oh my gosh, you listen to the show, never hear from them, never see a comment, a like or anything. And they're like, Hey, I know you're, I know what you do each way it, each day. It's in motion Monday 
Talk Tuesday, uh, Wellness Wednesday. Well, it's 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 also you know it's Wellness it, and Workout Wednesday, so it's both. And then Thoughtful Thursday and Fun Friday. So I do that uh, you know five days a week, and it's on both. So LinkedIn, it's Debbie O'Connell. You can find me there. I'm not sure what goes on the end of it, but uh, Debbie O'Connell, the, the company is Golf Positive. You find it there on Instagram. It's um, the O'Connell has instead of it goes O underscore C underscore. So with Debbie O'Connell, uh, those that's the difference there. And then on Facebook, it's uh, look just search for Debbie O'Connell. I'm sure you'll find me. There's a the the picture on my main page is a picture of myself and my wife. Actually, you'll see that. Um, but uh, if you search search me, you'll you'll be able to find them. Find me on on all those mediums. And I love to share. I love to. I like to help people have a different perspective or give them a different way of looking at something in a more positive way or help them have a, a you know, a, something fun to laugh at. Fun Friday is basically, you know, laugh with me, laugh at me. It doesn't matter. A lot of times I'll have a wig on and I'll sing and, and just to say, <laughs> hey, it's Fun Friday. Get out of your comfort zone. Go have a good time. And uh, so truly we have, I try to do something silly on Fridays to to make a point, right? Don't take life too seriously or yourself. <laughs> there you go. Well, Debbie, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show for a 12th time now. I always love having you as part of the show, just as everything about you is. It's a positive, fun, and I smile a lot. I've said, to, I've told you this many, many times. Every time we get to spend time together, my cheeks hurt at the end because you've got me smiling so much. I can't thank you enough for coming back and sharing what you shared tonight. Well, Chris, I appreciate you so much and this show and all of the amazing golfers who are enthusiastic about this game, want to learn, want to get better. I value that in people and admire, and I want to applaud them because that's just awesome as well. So thank you so much for allowing me to share. It's a privilege. Absolutely. Take care, Debbie. All the best in your family. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. As you as well, Chris. Thank you. Have a great one. Thanks. You too, Debbie. Okay, up next is going to be 1992 PGA Tour Rookie of the Year and one of the great on-course commentators of all time, and that's Mark Carnival. Before I get to Mark, I want to remind you about Two Under, men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DeMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. That's the number 2, U-N-D-R.com. 2under, performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Scone changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip-on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean, too, so spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit scone.com and use code NXT on T20. So next on T20, at checkout for 20% off. That's scony.com, S-K-O-N-I.com, 
They're also available at golf specialty retailers and green grass pro shops nationwide. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. It's all in the hips. Just tap it in. Yes! Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is Mark Carnivale. Mark has been a wonderful friend of the show over the last several years. Let me remind you about his background. He's from Annapolis, Maryland, played his college golf at James Madison University, where he was a four-year letterman and a two-time team MVP. While he was there, Mark won the 1979 Governor's Classic and the 1982 James Madison University Invitational. Graduated with his degree in marketing and a minor in economics. In 1999, he was inducted into the JMU Athletics Hall of Fame. He turned pro in 1983, and he won four times out on the PGA Tour. At the 1984 Virginia Open, the 1990 Utah Open, the 1992 Chattanooga Classic, and the 1997 Nike Inland Classic. Mark was named the PGA Tour Rookie of the Year in 1992. He finished 25th at the 1998 U.S. Open at the Olympic Club in San Francisco. You can now hear him on Sirius XM's PGA Tour Radio and PGA Tour Live. He is easily one of the all-time great golf analysts and on-course broadcasters, and I am honored. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Mark, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, great to be with you as always. Mark, I got to get your thoughts. We're here on the heels of yesterday's final round of the U.S. Open. What would you think of the tournament? It's obviously, as always, uh, major championships are interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, as I looked at it, there was never sort of a bad scenario uh, that the result uh, with uh, Wyndham Clark winning. I mean, you got to be happy for him. And I don't know if uh, your listeners and people that really follow the game understand that everything that Wyndham went through and, you know, he came into the college ranks, uh, you know, a star. It was at Oklahoma State. And then his mom passed away after a battle with cancer and went to Oregon. And then he seemed pretty lost for a while. And even in his years on the uh, Corn Ferry Tour and, Nike and PGA Tour, you know, was trying to find himself. And then obviously won the Wells Fargo Championship. And then yesterday winning the uh, U.S. Open. And uh, I believe in sort of the spiritualness of the game of golf. And it was pretty obvious that, uh, you know, his mom was with him that whole day. And you, you got to applaud him for the way he performed. And uh, with, uh, up against some very tough, uh, you know, fan favorites in Ricky and certainly Rory McIlroy. Uh, but it was interesting. I think it was uh, an interesting golf course. Uh, I've never played LA Country Club, uh, but uh, it certainly provided some interesting scenarios. And uh, I, I thought, you know, golf, you know, golf is, is sort of in a strange place, Chris, in, in the sense that, uh, you know, we look at the major championships and now, uh, with the lift players being allowed to play in the majors, and I have no problem with that. But it just, uh, it, it was it was not like a normal U.S. Open, I guess, so to speak, in the sense that we expect the top players to be the ones contending. But ultimately, that's why it's the U.S. Open, because it's open to everybody. And uh, uh, again, I, you can't go wrong with the fact that uh, Wyndham won. I think he played the best, and, and he was deservedly so the champion. So you talk about his struggles and the things that he has gone through. He's been on the PGA Tour now for the parts of seven seasons. Coming into this year, his best finish was a second place at the Bermuda Championship, 
back in 2020, but he's got nine top tens. He's now obviously a major champion. You mentioned the win he got last month at Quail Hollow, seven top tens on the season, 29 years old. Is this a guy now that is free of all of that stuff? We've seen guys in the past, once they win one major, things seem to come a little bit easier for him. Is this a guy you think is going to be fighting for multiple majors as we look out into the future? I think it might depend on the golf course, but I think, again, it, it, it was it was as if he had nothing to lose on Sunday, and certainly Ricky had a lot to gain, and certainly Rory had a lot to gain. So I think the pressure, and it appeared that the pressure wasn't uh, you know, having the best of him. Uh, I think that but now you get in that position, then the expectations are are high, not only amongst himself, but certainly the fans. And uh, that that's when golf, I think, becomes tougher, is when you can separate those expectations. Chris, uh, he's going to have a lot more personal expectations of himself, and I think the fans will as well. You mentioned Ricky Fowler, and I, I know I was rooting for Ricky. Um, I think what we all feared could happen on Sunday did a final round 75. He was kind of really out of it by the seventh hole, but glass is half full with Ricky. We haven't seen him in this position in a long time. His game had fallen almost completely apart until he went back to Butch Harmon. Are there good things that you think Ricky is going to be able to take from this performance and then ride that sort of wave of at least the first three rounds into the rest of this year and then obviously into next year as well? I absolutely think so. I mean, it has been a transition uh, and, and, and I would say it's probably more than a year for Ricky, uh, probably a couple of years since, you know, he's really felt comfortable out on the golf course and he looks that way. He's had good finishes this season. And, you know, you, you look at the first two rounds and 18 birdies at 36 holes. That was impressive. I don't know what the number was in the weekend, but the number of birdies was, was, was not there. And you're going to make mistakes in the U.S. Opens and he just wasn't over to, able to overcome that. But I think he gained a lot from it. I think his confidence is there. And I think the biggest thing about Ricky is we know he's certainly a a star in the game. And and the fans love him. And I even remember I was watching a little bit uh, after Saturday's round. And he was out there signing autographs. And, and yes, I mean, I think it would have been an unbelievable story uh, if he were to go on to win that in California, in L.A., where he's from. You know, he grew up very close to L.A. Uh, that would have been, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of a, a a dream story for him. But I think he's definitely on the right track. Uh, I saw him early this year, and particularly when he went with that putter back at the Amex Championship, and I asked him about it. And, uh, you know, his, his caddy, uh, Ricky Romano, was in his bag. They were playing a, a round before the tournament began, and he just pulled it out and started putting with it. And, you know, it's something like that that can change things. I think he's getting more comfortable with that. I think his golf swing is, is is a lot more like it used to be with with many improvements, and, and I think it, it's just you got to get back in that mix. And again, I think he had a lot to lose uh, on Sunday, but I think at the same time uh, he gained an awful lot of confidence uh, with his performance this week. What are your thoughts on Rory McIlroy? We keep waiting for that fifth major to come around. We've come up on almost nine years since he won his last one. What are your thoughts about where Rory's at? It's interesting. I mean, and we can go back and for the last year and a half, Rory McIlroy has been the face of the PGA Tour. He stood up and, you know, has dealt with questions every week about live versus the PGA Tour. I think that has taken a toll on him, Chris. 
uh, I think would be we would be sort of silly not to think it hasn't. And yet at the same time, he's still there in, in contention uh, for all these tournaments. I, I, you know, it's, and I'm sitting there watching this weekend and, you know, I know, I know Rory and I know his caddy, Harry Diamond quite well, but I go back and, and, I'm, and I'm like trying to, you know, figure this out. Uh, 2016 is when Harry, you know, came on Rory's bag and I, he's won at least two FedEx Cup since then. He's won multiple tournaments around the world since then, but he has not won a major championship. And I have to wonder sometimes, and again, it's, it's, this is nothing against Rory or nothing against Harry Diamond, but I have to wonder if you go back and he, he won those four major championships with J.P. Fitzgerald, you know, does, does, and, and, and Harry's a good friend of Rory's and a, a childhood friend of Rory's. Does that affect Rory when it comes to these big tournaments? I, I don't know if it does or not, Chris. But I just, I just sense there's, there's something there with that, and and I could be totally wrong. And as I said, it's not, it's not a negative sort of comment against Harry or, or Rory, but I just have to wonder if 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 that has held him back. Uh, obviously, he's won tournaments, but when you get in a major championship, it's a little different. And you know, there are times when I think players. Uh, you know, get the best of themselves. They get their, they get in their own way. And if you have an experienced caddy on the bag, you know, maybe it's different. And I, I'm not, I mean, I, Harry's got a lot of experience now. I mean, it's almost eight years of caddying for Rory. So it, it's not that, but I just think having a friend on the bag in a major championship, when you might need someone to say, hey, you know what? You know, let's look at it this way. Or, or why don't you think about doing this? I don't know. But that's an observation on my part, being out there and seeing it week after week. Uh, again, I, I think Rory McIlroy is an ultimate professional. I, I respect him to the utmost. But I just have to wonder if there's not some sort of common thread there. Mark, what would you think of L.A. Country Club? This was our first time seeing the golf course. It's very exclusive out there. I think after Ricky and Xander went out and shot 62 on Thursday, some of us might have leaped to the thought that, it was set up too easy. Maybe the fairways were too wide. But after an eight under first round, 10 under goes on to win it. What'd you think of the course? And maybe they go back there again sometime in the future. I've never played there, Chris. So, I mean, I just, I've just seen it on TV like everybody else. I think it's a very interesting golf course. I think uh, it's different than from what we see in most opens, as you said, with very wide fairways. But at the same time, it, it requires some pretty, uh, accurate shots to be able to, to make your way around there. Uh, I, I think it was great for LA. I mean, the first time in 75 years that the U S open was back there. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I <laughs> having not played it, I think it, it's hard to give a good sort of sense of it. I think the competitive aspect of it was there. Uh, it seemed a little tricky at times, but I think that's what we're used to in the U S open. And that's what golf is. Um, it's, it's definitely different. And, and uh, I think it certainly presented a different challenge for these players. And, and I would actually have no problem with them going back there because at the end of the day, golf is golf, Chris, you still have to execute the shots. And if you execute them, then you might, then you can figure out a way to get yourself around the golf course. And, you know, we saw certainly plenty of players do that. 
Mark, switching gears almost two weeks ago now, Jay Monahan and Yasser Al-Ramayan dropped a big bombshell on all of us. What'd you make of the news? Uh, you know, very similar to what uh, Tom Watson, you know, sent in a letter. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed. Uh, I, I'm a bit confused because there was no meat to the announcement other than this, uh, you know, venture. Um, I, I just don't think there's enough information out there, Chris. Uh, uh, and it has nothing to do with the Saudis or anything else. I, I just don't know how this helps the game of golf. Uh, I don't know how it helps the PGA Tour players. Uh, as Tom said in his letter, and I don't know if you've read it or not. I did. But there's just a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, what does this mean for the tour? You know, who do we who do we report to? I know a lot of things were said, and it was a very closed meeting. Um, you know, for since I got on the PGA Tour, it was, it was always reiterated that this is the players' tour. But how do you come to a decision like that without involving the players? And I talked to, I texted a number of players when the announcement came out and they had no idea about this. Um, I, I, you know, if it helps the game of golf, you know, I, I'm, I have no problem. But the reality is we don't know enough information about what's going to happen and, and where this takes us. I have my suspicions as to what ultimately might come about of this. Uh, I think that there's a possibility that we could, See a world tour. And obviously, when you go back to Greg Norman back in the early 90s, that's kind of what he wanted. Uh, I don't know if this is the case or not. And I have no information that makes me believe this is true. But I have a I have a sense that we may see something like the Premier League, where you have, I don't know the number, say 50 players that play in these events around the world, and then maybe the last 10 or 20 get relegated every year. Uh, I don't know. Uh, what my biggest concern is, uh, is not only for the players, uh, what this game represents, what it's always stood for, uh, because these events are all about the communities that they're in and being able to generate uh, charitable dollars. Uh, I, I just, I don't know where we are with that. I think about all the tournament sponsors that have, have, have stayed and, and been, you know, a partner with the PJ tour for so long to put these events on. And sort of where they're at. Uh, I, I, but again, I think the biggest thing is that we just don't have enough information about what this all is going to look like. You mentioned the world tour that, that Norman tried to get off uh, the ground back in the mid-90s. You were on tour when all of that was going yeah. on. What was it like back then when Greg was trying to get that thing off the ground? And why do you think he was able to get it off the ground now and not back then? I, I don't know the reason why it didn't. I do know that uh, uh, basically after everything went through, and, and I know Commissioner Fincham was was leading the charge against it. I mean, we we ultimately founded these World Golf Championships. Uh, I don't know if that was a substitute for them. I think that there was some. Again, this is all speculation on my part, Chris. I don't I don't know all the facts, but my guess is there there was some. Uh, you know, pushback against basically one player's idea of what golf should be. Um, and, and it sort of went against all the sort of, against the principles of what the tour represented uh, by going to something like that. And uh, I, I, you know, I just, I don't know if it can exist or not. Uh, 
I don't. I, I, I can honestly say I haven't watched any of the live golf. Uh, look, these guys are the, the best players in the world. And as a, as a professional golfer and still a member of the PGA Tour, I want the best players playing against one another every week. I, I want that. Uh, I don't. It doesn't mean that I, we can't have competition. We can't have different formats. But I think at the end of the day, what is important to me is what the PGA Tour represented for years and years and years about going to these communities and generating charitable dollars for these uh, these communities and, and, and title sponsors coming in there and using that to their benefit. And yes, uh, there's a lot of money being spent. I think maybe uh, you know there there was talk of you know too much money being spent on fighting these legal battles. Uh, I don't know uh, to the extent of that. Uh, obviously, it was going to be a never-ending battle for a while, and I think, you know, again, I think the the, the reality was they both realized this was like a, uh, you know, a battle that wasn't going to end. Uh, I, I do think that was a smart move on that part, but at the same time, uh, I, I don't, I don't know where where it's going, and I think that Greg Norman, I, I can't knock him for having an idea, uh, you know, of, of believing that the best players in the world should be showcased. But at the same time, it's got to be equitable. It's got to be uh, fair in, in the sense of, of being able to be a part of that and, and earning your way into that. Um, I, I just, I don't, I don't know. And, and it just seems like the timing may have been really bad uh, when Greg, uh, you know, decided to propose that. And uh, unfortunately, you know, it was, it was almost there was this 30-year vendetta uh, against the tour that he finally found someone that was willing to fund it. Does it send up red flags for you at all that shortly after the deal was announced and Jay Monahan met with the players at the Canadian Open, he announces that he's got an undisclosed illness and neither Tyler Dennis nor Ron Price, the guys that are now taking over in the interim, they say they haven't spoken to him, don't know what the issue is. Uh, I don't either. Um, I could understand the pressure of it. Uh, I mean, this is this is tough. And as, as I mentioned earlier, this is supposedly the players tour. Uh, I, I have I have a problem with the players not being involved with this decision. Um, I, I, I have the ultimate respect for Tyler and Ron Price, but they're not players. And, and I think and and I may have mentioned this to you before, Chris. I mean, you look at every other sports organization. Uh, in the world, and there are former players somewhere in the management. They're not. They're not the commissioner. They may not be senior vice presidents, but they are in there, and they're in there for a reason, because they've had the experience of playing this game. And there's no substitute for that experience. Now, do they have every aspect of the business world? No, but they understand what it takes for these guys to play. And, and I know that. Uh, oh man, I'm, I'm Jason. Jason Gore was hired last fall by the tour, but I, I think there needs to be more, in my opinion. And it's not anything against, but there just has been this trend away from it ever since uh, Commissioner Beeman retired that uh, there's been very little involvement from former players. And I think that's a problem. Uh, I, I think it, it, not that they can solve every problem, but I think there's a necessity to have that experience somewhere up there that uh, not necessarily can prevent things from happening, but certainly you have a different perspective 
I mean, these are all business people. I get that. And I said, this is not anything against anybody that's there. I just, I, it's more common sense to me that, that how do you not have that? And, and that's, is that a problem? I don't know. But I do feel like the players who have been told for years and years that this is their tour, I have to wonder about that. Is it really their tour? Mark, I want to switch gears a little bit. And not only are we on the heels of the U.S. Open, but we're also on the heels of Father's Day. I want to go back to your playing career. And when you went through Q School in 1991, that year was played at Greenleaf Resort, which is outside of Haines City, Florida. Your father was with you that week. When you finished your final round, you called your dad, who was back at the hotel packing for his flight back home. Do you mind sharing that story with us? Yeah, it was it was obviously very good. And I owe everything uh, in the game of golf to my dad because he showed it to me at a young age. Uh, my father, who demonstrative uh, Italian, successful basketball coach, athletic administrator, and and my dear my closest friend. Um, and I had never been around my father. I couldn't hear him speak and. He wanted me to call him, and this is back before cell phones, <laughs> Chris. So I called him at the hotel. He had a he had like a an evening flight, and, and we got done because he wanted to know exactly where I finished. And I called him, and I told him I think I ended up finishing seventeenth or eighteenth, and he couldn't speak. And um, my father was my hero, along with Arnold Palmer. And uh, that's people ask me. Uh, throughout my what's what's the greatest moment in my career and yes I, I was rookie of the year I won uh obviously in Chattanooga and I won other times uh but that is the greatest moment in my career because I I, I not only owe everything I am to him but to my mom uh, Agnes as well uh for making me the person I am and, and appreciative of of what I gained out of life and my commitment to it and that was just a very special moment to me and they got people my friends look at me like Really? I'm like, yeah. I mean, that's, you would have to know my father to understand that. Uh, but that's how much he meant to me in, in me getting to the PGA Tour and achieving the goals that I've had throughout my life. We've mentioned about how you were named PGA Tour Rookie of the Year in 1992. That came when you were age 32. Phil was also a rookie that season. So it was David Toms. But you're named Rookie of the Year because you had a better year than both of those guys. And your peers are actually the ones who voted you Rookie of the Year. What was it like for you when you got that phone call? Uh, I, was, I, was, I was astonished, quite frankly. Uh, but I was the only rookie that had won that season. Uh, I talked to a number of people. And I had been, I had been around the game since the early 80s. There was a, a PGA Tour event in Williamsburg, Virginia, the anheuser Bush Classic Press. And I had not only gotten exemptions of that a number of times, uh, on Monday qualified for it. Uh, we had a local qualifying for it. So I, I was around all these, a lot of these guys for a long time. And I think, you know, while I think they appreciated, you know, what I had done and what I had achieved, I also think it was part uh, of the kind of person I am, I think, and that I was very approachable. Uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I just loved what I did. I, I loved the game and I was there entertain the fans and uh, i think i mean hopefully think and i believe i never really asked anybody but i believe that they've realized that and uh, so i think that was part of the reason and uh, but again i was totally flabbergasted by it you mentioned the 92 chattanooga classic you get your uh, first pga tour win there you come from five strokes back in the final round and you ended up beating 
Ed Doherty and, and Dan Forsman by two strokes. Talk about what it was like coming down the stretch, knowing that you have an opportunity to make that big comeback and also get your first PGA Tour win. I, would, I have to be honest with you, Chris. I didn't know what was going on. Um, I shot 64 that final round. I think I had two three-putts during that round as well. Um, it just kind of came to fruition. I mean, I saw the leaderboard coming down the stretch, but I was just playing golf. And, and I think that uh, as I look back on it, um, it, it just, I was kind of in that, you know, everybody, every player talks about being in that zone and not really knowing what's going on. And and I can be honest with you, I, I did. Uh, we got done. Uh, I was leading the golf tournament and I had to sit around, I think, almost an hour and a half. Uh, and I think Ed Dougherty had to hold his second shot at 18 in order to tie me. Uh, and I actually was by the green when, when he was out there and, and celebrated when, when he didn't. Um, but I think that's what golf is. I mean, golf is, is an opportunity for players to kind of be out there with themselves. And, and I, and I, you know, in my, in my broadcasting, Chris, and I'm, I'm extending this and I'm going a little further on this question. Uh, I've been doing, I've been broadcasting over 20 years now. Uh, whether it's PJ Tour Radio, PJ Tour Live, I started doing PJ Tour Live back in the late '90s when they first did live at 17 at Sawgrass. I did some work for the Golf Channel, ESPN. I will say this: we play a game, Chris, and it is a game. And I understand there's a lot of uh, benefits to it, and there's a lot of money, and there's a lot of notoriety, but it's still a game. And I'm out there not every week, but you know at least half the year and I watched these guys and that's how we started playing this game. It, it was a game and it's a game we love. And I see, you know, my, my sort of reflection on it all is I see players kind of getting in their own way. And not that I didn't, I'm sure I got my own way many times when I was playing during my career, but I see that and we're trying to play an imperfect game perfectly. And what I would, what I noticed the most is it just doesn't seem like players trust themselves. I mean, they played this game forever. They they know the shots. They they obviously circumstances change things, but I just think if, if players would sit back and look at it and realize they're trying to do something that's impossible to do, and you just it's a game, and we're very fortunate uh, to play this game. And as my mother told me. And I rem you referenced my dad, Bernard, Ben, and my mom, Agnes. You know, my mother told me one time, she said, son, just think of your life. You got to play a game you love for a living, and now you get to talk about it for a living. I feel pretty Fantastic. fortunate, Chris. I'm with you. You mentioned Mr. Palmer being your other idol, and your first U.S. Open was his last one. In yeah. 1994, just down the street from my hometown of Pittsburgh at Oakmont Country Club. Heck of a place to get to play your first open. A heck of a, a, a backdrop having Mr. Palmer ride out into the sunset that week as well. What do you remember about that week? I just remember it was really hot and humid. Uh, I remember uh, I had to finish uh, on Saturday morning. And this is kind of funny. Uh, I had to finish on Saturday morning and I got in and this is before, I don't know. I think I had a, I was trying to prove something. Uh, I got done and I was like the last guy to make the cut. And they said, you want a marker? 
And I was like, nah, I'm, I'm just good. I think it's like, I'm going to try to play the fastest round in golf history. Um, had I known that the marker was going to be Bob Ford, who was the head professional <laughs> at Oakmont and Seminole. Uh, and he and I have actually <laughs> laughed about this a number of times since then. But I remember just going out there, I played by myself. <laughs> I finished 18 when the group behind me was teeing off 10. And I remember Chris Berman saying something. He played 18 holes in two hours and 20 minutes or something like that. But I remember walking into the locker room, still dressed, and walking into the shower and just turning the shower on. It was it was that humid. Uh, my father came up. He didn't get there until about halfway through that round in the morning. Uh, my brother was there. But I, Mr. Palmer was, as I mentioned, he and my father were my heroes. And uh, I, I didn't get to see his final hole because I was on the golf course. I was behind him. Uh, he finished before me. I've seen video of it. But he is what professional golf, I mean, he represented what professional golf is. Uh, a gentleman understanding his place in the game. Yes, there, there are so many benefits to it, but there's a humbleness. There was such a humbleness to him and appreciation. I mean, he would look you in the face. He would look at you in your eyes when he shook your hand. Uh, and you knew he shook your hand. Um, the way he signed his autograph and just the way he felt like he needed to carry himself. And I think he learned that from his father. Uh, I learned a lot of things from my father, and there was a lot of similarities that I that I sort of uh, gleaned from both Mr. Palmer and my dad. Uh, I think they were very. My dad was probably a little bit older uh, than Mr. Palmer, but uh, they were from that same era where they worked hard to achieve things in life, and you got the benefits from that. But nothing was ever expected; everything was earned, and I just think he's exemplified, and he is. He has made uh, golf what it is today. And then certainly uh, Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods have added to that. But to me, he just re represents what a uh, professional golfer that plays on the PGA Tour should be. And uh, I've, I've always had his utmost respect. I was very fortunate uh, to be able to go to his uh, memorial service in Latrobe, uh, you know, after he passed away. And, and that's a memory that I will carry on for the rest of my life. Mark, you are now one of the all-time great on-course broadcasters. Talk about making the transition from being a player to now out there describing what we see and painting the picture of what's going on during the course of a golf tournament. Uh, it actually took me a while uh, after I quit playing competitively to be able to go out and enjoy playing golf. But when, when, I, when I decided the uh, to go to broadcasting. I, I really ultimately had wanted to work for the PGA Tour, as you know, we talked about briefly about being part of that. And I went up, up to the other side and I was a tournament director uh, for two years, um, which was a buy.com tour, which is now Corn Ferry Tour. And then I was a, a year at PGA Tour Champions event in Hickory, North Carolina. And that didn't work out. And one of the things my father always told me was figure out a way to make your profession better than it was. And it was not going to be through, you know, working at the tour. And how do I do that? And so an opportunity came up about the, uh, it was pure golf radio back in 2005. And, and, and a friend of mine said, Hey, would you want to be part of it? And I did. And 
and I go back sort of to the late nineties and, and work doing some things for golf channel and ESPN. And it was explained to me by a producer and it was, and this is the TV side of it, but I translate it to the radio side of it as well. Uh, with radio, I try to convey the scenario from a golfer's perspective. So if, if you're playing uh, the first hole at Oakmont, it's like, Chris, then you hit your tee shot and then you're walking up there and, and you're coming down and you're coming into the green. And, you know, I might say, well, it's, you know, it's a downhill approach. But from my perspective, if I'm happen to be behind the green and, and with radio, you you have to be ahead of the action because you're calling the action into the hole where TV, you've got cameras. So essentially you set up what's happening once the shot is hit, then the cameras catch it. But I've always felt there was always kind of a, uh, you know, just in my crawl when I want to hear some announcers and they would be calling shots from behind the green and the player would hit it and say there was a back right pin. And so he hits it on the right side of the green and he said, well, he's putting from, from left to right. Well, no, if he's a golfer, he's putting from right to left. And, and I felt like I, I, I wanted to make sure that the, the person listening, it was like they were playing the hole. Cause if, if I came up to you, Chris, and you're playing the, the first hole at, at Oakmont and I said, well, he's putting from left to right, but the pins on the left, you're probably thinking, well, he must be left of the hole. Well, he's not because he's putting right to left. And I just think you have to, to add whatever you can with a listener. And, and you know, we're referenced many times to, to the great Vince Scully uh, about the baseball game and that you can never paint enough of the picture. There's always something you can add because someone is sitting there listening to this and you've got to figure out a way to make that person feel like they are there. And, and I've always felt a description uh, of everything around the shot, everything that's involved with the shot was, was extremely important. But my biggest goal was to make sure the listener, whether it be you, Chris, or anyone else, could put themselves in that situation and, and absolutely understand and realize what I was explaining to them. And, you know, it's something that came very natural to me. I don't know why. Uh, I always felt like I was a pretty shy person growing up and, and even in the college. But I'm talking about something I love. And I think that allows me to be more expressive and, and certainly more expanding, understanding of what a listener needs to understand exactly what's going on. Mark, we have one more major left in this golf season, the Open Championship, and it's going to be played this year at Royal Liverpool. Have you ever played there? And, and what do you expect to see when we get there? I have not. Um, uh, I, I had an opportunity to go and work there this year, but uh, I, I just, it just wasn't going to fit into my schedule. I'm actually doing the Scottish Open the week before for radio, but I, I just, I've been, I've been on quite a bit this year. Uh, I'll make I'll make four trips across the pond this year, Chris. So wow, didn't want to stay another week. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I think there's there's a spiritualness to this game. Uh, I think you know when you look back two weeks ago to the RBC Canadian Open, uh, if if somehow Tommy Fleet would have would have won and beaten 
uh, Nick Taylor, he would have been the most hated person in Canada. I, I just have this feeling that it's either going to be Tommy Fleetwood or Rory McIlroy that wins there. I mean, that was Rory's only open championship win. You know, would it be fitting that he goes back there and wins? Yes. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood, who, who grew up very close to there in Liverpool, you know, would that, you know, would it, would that be fitting for him to win? I, I believe in all that stuff. Whether it happens or not, I don't know. I think a lot is going to be due to the weather like it is in every week and every tournament. Uh, when Rory run there, it was pretty wet and soft. And I think there's this misnomer that, you know, Rory's from Ireland and, and it's like he plays a lot of lengths. Cobb. Rory hits a ball so high. Uh, it, it's like it, it's there's there's nothing sort of that that links it to links golf in the sense, um, but that's that's kind of what I think. That's that's what I kind of hope happens is that maybe it comes down to those two, and uh, because I think at the end of the day, golf golf shines a light a light on great stories. We had one this past week with Wyndham Clark. You had one at, with Nick Taylor at the Canadian Open. Uh, there's just something spiritual about the game that, that I love and I think sort of transcends uh, with most of the outcomes. Mark, before I let you go, I know you got off Twitter. Is there oh. a way for our listeners to stay up to date with what you're doing and follow you somehow still? Um, well, no, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook, Chris. Uh, I will be on PGA Tour Radio this week uh, at the uh, Travelers Championship. And I'll be on PGA Tour Live at the uh, uh, the Rocket Mortgage Classic. And then I'll be at the Scottish Open for radio. And, and we'll have a fairly full schedule the rest of the year through the Tour Championship. But I, it just frustrates me too much, Chris. <laughs> but, um, I, I know that's bad because I, I know there's, there, I have fans out there and we see them every week out on the golf course. And I love them. But I'm just, you know, most of my life is an open book, and I've decided to keep some of it private. Mark, it's always a huge thrill to get to spend some time with you. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show with me. You're outstanding, my friend. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again soon. Well, Chris, it's always a pleasure. I, I love what you do. I love that you're able to get uh, all this information out to golf fans and I, I am happy to come back anytime, my friend. Take care, Mark. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up again soon. Thank you. See you, Mark. That is the great Mark Carnivale, a great player when he was out playing on the PGA Tour, hence why he was voted PGA Tour Rookie of the Year in 1992. Got a couple of wins out on tour, and now just one of the best radio broadcasters doing golf anywhere on the planet and anywhere, anytime during the course of his career, and just an all-time great person on top of all of that. He is a 10 times better person than he is a broadcaster, and like I say, he's a Hall of Fame-level broadcaster. I can't thank Mark enough for taking time out of his busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with him a little bit later on this summer, maybe after the Open Championship or after the Tour Championship, we can do a little bit of a retrospective on this season. I love Mark and everything he does. And hopefully, like I say, we get the privilege of catching up with him again soon. Folks, I want to remind you about some friends of ours, starting with the folks over at Adele Golf. Power and precision. Adele Golf's SMS and SMS Pro irons offer the ultimate in iron adjustability. 
Featuring the revolutionary swing match weighting technology, precisely dial in each iron to your swing by moving the heaviest weight to its optimal position for maximum performance. Learn more about them by going to adelgolf.com. And folks, do you sway in your off balance in your golf swing? You know what? It could be your shoes. A golf shoe needs structure to provide stability and reduce sway. How can you tell if your shoes lack structure and are hurting your game? If you can hold your shoes by the toe and heel and twist it, toss it. Squares was designed for the perfect balance of structure and comfort. Isn't it time you tried Squares? Try the new Speed Bolt at Squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com. Looking for the ultimate Myrtle Beach golf experience? Well, it's only a click away. Check out the two-play special at two of America's most awarded public golf courses, Caledonia Golf and Fish Club and True Blue Golf Club. They are low country masterpieces featuring two iconic Mike Strands designs. Play these two incredible courses for one great price. Visit CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com to learn more about the two-play special and book your tee time today. Again, that's CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. I want to send out my sincere thanks again to Drew Kaler, Debbie O'Connell, and Mark Carnival for joining me this week. Scheduled to join me next week are, of course, our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick, will be here. As I mentioned, Champions Tour Pro Rob Labritz will be making his Next on the Tee debut, as will the new CEO of Adele Golf, David Coors. And yes, from that course family. Looking forward to having David as part of the show. And we'll round it out with Chandler Withington. Chandler is a great artist. He is licensed by the PGA and the USGA. He's painted great pictures of the trophies from the U.S. Open, the Open Championship, and the Ryder Cup. We'll talk about all of that. So, folks, I can't thank you enough for listening to this show and making us a part of your golfing content. This show is available as a podcast just about everywhere. You get your podcasting content. We're, of course, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audioboom, Player.fm. If you've got a favorite podcast app, we're probably on that one, too. I want to send out a special thanks to the folks over at Good Pods for making this show one of their recommended podcasts. Download their free app and stream your favorite podcast on your favorite device there. And most of all, as I say, my thanks to all of you for being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week, hit him straight, my friends.
With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.